It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Talk Recorded live. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. weekend in sports got a lot of things to talk about here on another episode of radio j-dub as always radio j-dub the audio incarnation of the most interesting independent sports blog on the web dubsism find that at dubsism.wordpress.com you can find us uh, at dubsism on twitter instagram pinterest tumblr facebook cave drawing carrier pigeon you name it we're out there d-u-b S-I-S-M, first page search result on Google. Lots of stuff to get through. Um, first, no podcast last week. Uh, had some technical issues. Won't go into why. Uh, site hosting things, that kind of stuff. Long story short, we were not able to get a podcast up. Many of you that are regular listeners know that we've had issues where we've been dropping raw um, audio tracks rather than the finished podcast. That's uh, part of what was going on. Don't want to get into it. Uh, we'll keep this moving by getting back to what I was talking about with the big weekend in sports. Last night we had Army-Navy game. Navy beats Army for the 14th time in a row. Uh, insert uh, patriotic gestures here. Uh, UFC, Conor McGregor does what he was expected to do and knocked out that Brazilian guy. Can't watch UFC. I was an old boxing fan. I was watching live that Saturday afternoon back in 82 when uh, Ray Mancini killed Duke Koo Kim in the ring. That's going to happen in UFC. And when it does, I think it's going to be the, the nail in the coffin for that sport. I, I don't, I don't want to be the guy watching when it happens. I just see those guys getting punched in the head when they're on the ground. Somebody's going to get killed, and I just, like I said, I don't want to be the guy that's watching it. Speaking of which, why is it I'm seeing commercials for this fucking concussion movie all over the place? Everybody's up in arms about, oh, well, you know, concussions in football. What about UFC? I mean, seriously. Look at the pounding those guys are taking. Eh, nobody cares, apparently. Well, I guess because it doesn't have as much money involved as the NFL does, but that's that's for, for another day. Um, Derrick Henry wins the Heisman last night. Uh, he can 
now uh, hopefully avoid the long and storied tradition of Alabama running backs that go to the NFL and disappoint. Mark Ingram, Eddie Lacy, Gasp, Trent Richardson. I think we all know what I'm talking about. I could go on. I, I won't. Uh, things you want to keep an eye on uh, this weekend. As like I said, we're uh, dropping this podcast or recording it. Sunday mornings, we usually drop them later in the day or early Monday morning. Um, things you want to pay attention to. Um, regardless of what happens with some games in the NFL, I think this is the weekend where we really start talking about who your who your Super Bowl contenders are, who your pretenders are. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail in, in the subsequent segment because one of the things I really want to get into here, is, we're going to explore in depth later, is the Carolina Panthers and why nobody's really talking about them in the manner that they should. Uh, now, I will be the first to admit it's very easy that I may miss a lot of things that get said by the ESPNs of the world because I just I don't listen to them. I can't stand outlets that create their own narrative and make their own stories and clickbait you into their bullshit on their website. I just can't be bothered with that. And people don't understand that. They think because I'm a sports fan that I just eat up everything ESPN produces. I don't. I can't stand it. People that want to talk to me about it, I just want to punch them in the mouth. It's like, you're just wasting my time with that shit. You know, if, if, you, if you want to eat up that crap, that's fine. Don't bother me with it. It's all stupid. It's all manufactured. It's all garbage. And that's why I like to stick to things that, that matter. And to foreshadow what I'm going to talk about later on, is like, why do we talk about the Carolina Panthers as being one of the best teams in the league, and yet we poo-poo the idea that Cam Newton could be the league MVP? Um, like I said, we'll get into that in detail uh, later on. Um, Another story I want to touch on real quick, and this is this is more for the Europeans and, and, the, and the world football fans. Euro draw for uh, 2016 yesterday. Um, some people think Group B is the legendary uh, proverbial group of death. Some people think it's Group D. I don't really think it's going to matter too much. I mean, the Euro tournament is short of the World Cup, one of the best month-long um, sports events out there. Uh, I think what it's really going to come down to is, is this is going to come down to you know everybody wants to talk about the French because the French are playing on home soil and they have this this historic ability to do well when they play at home. That's how they won the World Cup in '98. Uh, Germany, Spain, those are the best. Those are the best teams. Um, it's going to come down to them. The Italians are always problematic, and the, and the Italians don't get the respect they deserve. Um, speaking of teams that do not get the respect they, they deserve, uh, Americans love underdogs, and if you're not a fan of the English Premier League, there are two very good underdog stories going on in that league right now. First, Bournemouth. You've heard me on this podcast talk about Bournemouth before. Uh, Bournemouth has done something that no other team in the history of the Premier League's done, and that is they took out Chelsea and Manchester United in back-to-back weeks. Now, yes, we all know the wheels are coming off at Chelsea. If JFI was writing a coach's death watch piece about the Premier League, Jose Mourinho would definitely be on it. 
he probably wouldn't be in the first spot. Yeah, that would belong to uh, the guy from Aston Villa. <laughs> As I'm recording this podcast, uh, Villa is being handled by Arsenal 2-0 at this point. The thing about Bournemouth, we've heard the story. If you haven't, go to NBC Sports Network, uh, the Men in Blazers. They did a great Premier League download documentary about it. Uh, six years ago, this team had, uh, you know, buckets around their pitch, you know, asking uh, supporters to toss in spare change so they could pay the light bill. And with the two wins against uh, United and Chelsea, They've climbed out of the relegation zone. They threaten to be a team that uh, does not come up, do a one-and-done, and go right back to the championship. It would be a huge thing for Bournemouth to stay up this year because there's a new contract uh, kicking in in the Premier League, and everybody's going to get a big old slug of TV money. And for a tiny little club from the south coast of England to get to the top flight of English football and go away with a huge payday changes the fortunes of that franchise. It would it would literally take, you know, the you know, Sioux Falls Canaries in, you know, independent league baseball and turn them into the Chicago Cubs. Um, I want to touch on the Cubs in a second here. But the other thing the other thing about uh, less about uh, the Premier League is uh Leicester City. Here is another club that last year was was mired in the middle of the championship, uh, made some changes. Claudio Ranieri was kind of the Wade Phillips of the Premier League, uh, world football, actually. He gets big jobs. He takes clubs to the middle of the pack, doesn't get them over the hump. Well, somehow he's got Leicester City over the hump because Leicester City is uh, fighting for a spot at the top of the table. Uh, they play uh, Monday afternoon on NBC Sports Network. If you're even a casual soccer fan, check it out. There's something special happening at Leicester City. They are probably, despite just a, a Herculean collapse, they're probably headed for Europe, which would be another great story because that'll be another episode of uh, Small Club Makes Good. I think is is a great thing for the Premier League. I'm so done with the Aston Villas and the Newcastles and the Sunderlands and all these teams that just hang around and stay in the big leagues and do just enough to not get relegated. Uh, screw them all. Relegate them, relegate them down, keep them down, bring up more clubs that are going to try and grow and develop like Bournemouth and Leicester. Okay, Americans, you can come back now. I'm I'm done ranting about soccer, but last thing I want to touch on in the in the open here are the Cubs. Cubs threw 180 million dollars at Jason Hayward uh, this weekend. Uh, they've already thrown 30 million dollars at John Lackey. You know, if I'm a Cubs fan, I and I'm not, but I'm not happy about this. I mean, I don't mind spending money, but John Lackey, I'm an Angels fan. I you know, he was around when we won that World Series, and, you know, for some reason that's how he got a big game rep, just because he happened to be on the mound when we won. He's 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 a mediocre guy at best. You know, it's, it's another case, it's kind of like John Lester, where they're, you know, they're, they're throwing number one money at a number three guy, and, you know, whatever. 
can always get the, uh, well, it's not my money argument, but, you know, that's that's why they're the Cubs, because I get the feeling that Theo Epstein is in the mode where he thinks the Cubs' window to win is in the next two or three years before he's got to pay Chris Bryant or Kyle Schwarber or any of those guys. Uh, Chris Bryant's already filing a grievance with uh, the league over his claim is that you know he was not brought up at the beginning of the season last year in order to just manipulate his service time so that you know the Cubs could keep him for an extra year of free agency and blah blah blah. So whether or not that comes to fruition in any way, shape, or form, it tells you that there's already money issues in Chicago. We're throwing money at guys that you know. I wouldn't have thrown that kind of money at Jason Hayward. I, I certainly wouldn't have at John Lackey. The thing that makes me nervous about Jason Hayward is when somebody has to tell me the best thing, the, the first thing off the deck they're going to tell me about him is some, you know, ridiculous horseshit sabermetrics number. It's like, well, you know, Jason Hayward, he, he has, you know, so many more defensive runs saved than any other outfielder. Blah, blah, blah. Like, what the fuck does that mean? defensive runs saved. I, I I don't like sabermetrics. I don't like numbers that are cooked up by guys who who jack off to pictures of the broad from Big Bang Theory. Um, oh, by the way, just a quick aside, that bitch needs to shut up, too. I mean, I get up on a Sunday morning, I'm, you know, watching a Law & Order rerun while I'm making coffee, and all of a sudden this mouthy broad shows up in some commercial telling me about how I gotta give her $19 a month so they can go stop the seal clubbing in Canada. I was like, well, first of all, I don't know if you noticed this, lady, but we don't live in Canada, okay? So getting me to send you 19 bucks to uh, stop something that's not even going on in my country, well, fat chance with that. Uh, better yet, why are you running this commercial at 6.30 in the morning? I haven't even had coffee yet. I don't even know what I'm going to have for breakfast. I am certainly not going to start writing checks to some broad because she runs a commercial. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, there isn't even a Tim Hortons within 200 miles of where I live. So yeah, I don't live in Canada. I don't give a shit about Canadian seal clubbings. I use the analogy seal clubbings in sports all the time. I'm insensitive. I'm not giving you any money. Fuck off and die, okay? <sighs> Having said that, um, sabermetrics. You know, you can cook up you can cook up any number and you can crunch numbers to tell you any story you want, but the bottom line is that the Sabermetrics people, they lost their credibility with me when they tried to tell me that RBIs don't matter. Like, hmm. So a guy that drives in a lot of runs in a game where the team that scores the most runs wins the game, that doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. RBIs don't matter. There's no uh, there's no terrorists in uh, radical Islamic countries. Uh, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. You want me to believe it? Believe it. With that, let's tell some stories. And now, despite numerous requests, here's Johnny. <laughs>
So in the open, I hinted at wanting to talk a little bit about the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Heading into today's NFL action, Panthers are the last man standing in the NFL in the undefeated ranks. Uh, Should have a layup today, but even if they lose today, like I said, record these uh, podcasts Sunday morning. They don't drop until usually the NFL action is completed for the day. So no matter what happens, I mean, undefeated, one loss, Carolina is really looking like the team to beat. And I know there's people in Denver and Cincinnati and New England and Arizona that are saying, hey, what about us? Well, I mean, you're in the team photo here. Um, There's a lot of reasons why I look at at Carolina as being the team to beat. Uh, First of all, I have this long, long long-standing rule about Teams that win in December and January are teams that run the football, control the line of scrimmage, and play defense. And despite the fact that Cam Newton is at least 50% of the Panthers' running game, they do all of those things, and they do them very well. If Cam Newton gets hurt, all bets are off. But as long as he's healthy and playing at the level at which he's playing right now, Panthers are a tough, tough out when we get to the playoffs. I mean, the only game they've lost in the last calendar year was the game that took them out of the playoffs last year. You know, everyone wants to go back and point to the fact that they were a 7-8-1 and team, got into the playoffs with a losing record, and, you know, that's, that's going to happen in possibly two divisions this year. That's a whole, whole other story. But when you stop and look at what the Panthers do on the field, um, the NFC, we we might as well just, you know, skip the NFC ahead to, you know, the the semifinals where we got Carolina, we got Arizona, the Seahawks are starting to come on, throw in a fourth team in the NFC, you pick whoever it is. I got no faith in anybody in the NFC North, frankly, I think the Bears might be playing the best football in that division right now. Um, so anyway, if you look at the other teams in playoff contention, and we'll start this over in the AFC just because I'm really already kind of looking forward to the Panthers in the Super Bowl, and I know the Seahawks, the Cardinals, somebody may have something to say about that. But when I look at the team that might be the toughest to beat right now, especially since the playoffs in the NFC look like they're going through Carolina, um, let's look at the other side of the fence first, and then we'll come back to the NFC. In the AFC, you've got the suddenly resurgent Broncos, who, with the demise of Peyton Manning and their realization thereof, they're finally starting to figure out that They can run that offense with Brock Osweiler, and it's not going to be sexy, and it's not going to be the filling the skies with football's Peyton Manning era, but it's going to win, and it's going to win in the playoffs. Then there's the Bengals. The Bengals right now, that might be the most complete all-around team in the league The issue I got with the Bengals, and I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again now, they got to show me they can win when it matters. Uh, 
there seems to be something different in Cincinnati as opposed to previous years. The last time I looked at a Bengal club and really thought that they were going to be able to do something was 2005. That was the year that uh, Carson Palmer got his knee blown out in that playoff game against the Steelers, and that, that was the end of that team. And they they took years to recover from that, frankly. This year looks different, feels different, tastes different. I don't know how it is because I still see Marv Lewis over there on the sidelines, and I keep waiting for the Marvin Lewis factor to kick in. But it hasn't yet. And... For the sake of long-suffering Bengals fans, I hope that if it does, it happens now rather than in January because I only live like three hours from Cincinnati, and that's that's close enough for the radioactive fallout to get to me if that whole thing really implodes, which I think it will if there's another tragic playoff loss. I, I think there's a lot of people in Cincinnati who, you know, they don't want to come out and say it and run the risk of jinxing themselves, for lack of a better term. But I think they want to win, and I think they want to win now. And if there's a fan base in the NFL that's hungry for, for some victory, it's the Bengals. Other team worth talking about in the AFC, obviously the New England Patriots. Uh, Patriots, they've had a couple of tough weeks. I'm on record before saying that everything that the Patriots have done this season is an exercise in Tom Brady making chicken salad out of chicken shit and that I think that Bill Belichick is kind of the accidentally successful guy that's along for that ride. Some of the crazy shit he did in that Eagles game kind of kind of bears out my thought on that. Uh, I I've, have yet to have anybody really explain that onside kick to me um, that you know made me go, yeah, yeah, I, now I understand what, what you're talking about. Now I understand why that was, that was a move to make at that point. It's not happening. Um, there's a couple of a couple of points here that that speak to speak to the Patriots. And one, as an Eagles fan, I get a lot of Patriots people telling me, "Well, you know, Merry Christmas, we gift wrapped that game for you." And in, in a lot of respects, that's true. Having said that, though, go back and look at the one thing that the Chip Kelly Eagles actually do well. And that is, go look at how many defensive and special teams touchdowns they've scored this season. And then look at the next closest team to them in, in terms of those numbers. Okay. And the reason why I'm not just going to tell you those, I want you to go look them up for yourself because when you do that, the impact is a little bit greater. As down as I am on Chip Kelly and the bullshit that he does with that offense, Defensively and on special teams, the Eagles make plays. And that's what's kept them where they are in that race, in that god-awful NFC East division. With, without the defense and the special teams, the Eagles are road meat. And that was how they beat the Patriots. I mean, yeah, does Tom Brady throw pick sixes every day? No. Do you get uh, kicks returned? Do you get kicks blocked every day in New England? No. But when the perfect storm comes together and those things happen, that's how you get uh, that's how you get a loss at home if you're New England. Um, the thing is that when you get to one game one game scenarios and and whether it's that game or whether we're talking about a game in the playoffs, 
everybody loves to overlook defense and special teams, and, and those things matter. And when you come down to 60 minutes of football, you can't tell me that, you know, those can be the kinds of plays that change a ball game. They certainly did in that game in New England. And if the Eagles, God forbid, make the playoffs, because once you make the playoffs, the records are out the window. It's, you know, you're, you're going on the road, you're at home, whatever. You just have to win the game that's in front of you that Sunday. And in that 60-minute period, if you can get a blocked kick, get a pick six, get something that changes the balance of the game, it ups your shot at winning. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why there's a direct correlation between the number of turnovers a team commits and their chances of winning any given game. Um, that's not a sabermetric bullshit number. That's a real number. Okay. Now, after having said all of that, when I look at the New England Patriots, Patriots fans are going to get ready to get out their Internet crayons and hate on me for saying this, but as much as I've said Tom Brady has been making chicken salad out of chicken shit, I think he's finally running out of chicken shit. And you saw a lot of that in that Eagles game. You saw it on the road at Denver. I got a bad feeling you're going to see it uh, today against Houston, of course, now. Right after I said that, then, you know, Houston's going to get blown out by 40 points, and then that's all the comments I'm going to hear. Yeah, so much about your Houston deck. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. That's what I get. So what happens when you have a podcast. Story is, the Patriots, with all of their injuries and with all of the other stuff, really are starting to look like a busted flush to me. I mean... When they were 9-0 and and, you know, we were cruising, we, you know, we're hurt, but it's the, the Brady-Belichick era, next man up, let's go, blah, blah, blah. And then you started losing the guys that you really have a hard time replacing. Um, there's a couple of guys that, that Patriots fans love to overvalue, and, and when I say overvalue, do not hear the word overrated. I really don't like the word overrated. But Patriots fans think that guys like Donta Hightower is a lot more important than he is. He's he's a decent player. He's he's a B guy. Um, Patriots fans think that he is really, really that important to that defense. I don't think he is. I think what's really a bigger tell about their defense is that when Hightower gets hurt, that there isn't another B, C guy behind him that can step in and and that speaks to the Patriots you know lack of depth at certain spots um a spot where they don't have a lack of depth and this is a spot where the Patriots fans really over overestimate the value of a guy and that's a tight end and yes I am taking a shot so to speak at the Satan Rob Gronkowski Uh, Gronkowski again here's a guy that's a decent player. He's not a great player. Um, the Philadelphia game, you know, yeah, he's hurt, but you know what? Scott Chandler was doing the Gronk job, and that was he was being the big guy that goes down the middle of the field and exploits the seam in a two-deep zone cover. That's what Gronkowski does. Well, you know what? That's what Scott Chandler can do, too. Is Gronkowski a little bit better of a receiver? Absolutely he is. That's why he's the starter, and Scott Chandler is the guy you know, uh, who comes in when Gronkowski gets hurt. The point is, is that Gronkowski is not why you won or lost that game against Philadelphia, and Gronkowski is not why you won or lost that game against Denver. And Gronkowski is not what is going to make a difference for you 
going down the road in the future because Gronkowski throughout his career is a guy who has missed almost a quarter of his scheduled games due to injuries, and in throughout that time, the Patriots still win. The guy that they really got to have back is Edelman. Julian Edelman is that guy who makes that catch when you need it. And all you have to do is go back again to the Philadelphia game. You're in the fourth quarter, three minutes to go. Patriots need a score because they've, they've come back. It was a three-score lead. They've got it down to one score. If they can score at the end of the fourth quarter, they can get that game in overtime, or God forbid they can get the ball back on another onside kick and kick a field goal or do the kind of shit that you expect the Patriots to do because they've been doing it for 15 fucking years. And they would have done it again against Philadelphia, except Brandon LaFell can't catch. If that, if that pass on third and ten where he runs the fly pattern, if that's Julian Edelman, that's a catch. And it's probably a touchdown. Because he beat his guy. Brandon LaFell beat his guy, but Brandon LaFell has frying pans for hands. Okay? So, what does that all mean in terms of the AFC? The AFC, I think, right now is going to come down to Denver and Cincinnati. I, I think the Patriots, like I said, they're, they're going to come up a, a couple of chips short at the end. Patriots fans may disagree with me. And if you do, fine. Dubsism at yahoo.com. At Dubsism on Twitter. Dubsism on Facebook. Argue with me. Tell me I'm wrong. Make a case. Um, For those of you in Brookline, uh, if you really want to hate me um, and you can't figure out how to make a case, just call me up. Tell me I'm an asshole. That's fine, too. It's really all you know how to do. Having said that, take this back over to the NFC. Now, the team in the NFC that's going to write me a lot of hate mail, um, Packer fans, because you're kind of the Patriots of the NFC. You're beat up. A lot of what you were doing was Aaron Rodgers making chicken salad out of chicken shit, and then all of a sudden the offensive line got beat up, and I'm convinced that Aaron Rodgers is hurt because it's really the only thing that explains why a guy that was complete in almost 75, somewhere in that neighborhood, but a ridiculously high number of his passes is now got a completion percentage around 45%. Okay. You know, elite quarterbacks do not have that kind of a drop off unless there's something wrong. The other thing that you can look at with the Packers, um, back to my old saw about teams that run the ball, control the line of scrimmage and play defense. Packers can't do any of those. Can't do them all. Um, the only time that the Packers looked like they could run the ball in the last couple of weeks, uh, Eddie Lacy is like a light bulb right before it burns out. It has these flashes of brilliance and then nothing. Well, that bulb's going to burn out real soon. The guy that's been the most consistent and the most interesting for them is uh, Johnny Crockett, North Dakota State's own John Crockett. And I know that there's a lot of Packer fans in North Dakota. I have a lot of friends in North Dakota. I know there's a lot of people pulling for this guy. And it's a fun story if you if you watch it, but unfortunately, the Packers, much like the wedges of cheese they wear on their heads, they got way too many holes, and Johnny Crockett ain't enough to fix them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Packer fans, um, for those of you that live in Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, get on Skype, call your brethren in Brookline, Massachusetts. 
sharpen up your internet crayons and tell me how wrong I am. But I'm not. As for the rest of the NFC, Seattle, Seattle is all of a sudden starting to play what looks to be Seahawk-type football. I don't know where they're going to end up. I don't know if this is uh, a flash. I don't know if this is the real deal. We're in the time of year where instead of me trying to look smart and say, yeah, this is what's, this is what's going to happen, the Seahawks are the real deal, let it play out. Because between the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the Panthers, the Panthers are going to end up with home field unless they have a titanic collapse. And then Arizona, Arizona probably gets to play at home until they got to go to Carolina. So, you know, wait and see what happens with the Seahawks and wait and see what happens with the NFC North, or God forbid, you know, which one of those terrible teams in the NFC East is going to get a home game. I don't even want to think about it. It makes my brain hurt. Let's talk about the Panthers for a minute. Said it before, say it again. Run the ball. Control the line of scrimmage. Play defense. They can do those things. I get they're not the only team in the NFC that can do them, but they're doing it better than anybody else right now. And a lot of that, especially, well, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, that's all about Cam Newton, okay? And so the people that want to tell me that, well, we can't even consider Cam Newton as an MVP. I mean, just look at his stats. Okay, well, then you don't understand what the concept of MVP is, all right? In my world. And I know because it's subjective, we can have a big old argument as to what the actual definition of the term should be. But in my world, the most valuable player is the guy who his team can't win without. That guy makes the difference for that team. And statistics aside, he just goes out and gets the job done. In the NFL this year, That means there's a handful of guys that you can talk about. There's Tom Brady. Tom Brady's not going to win it this year because Tom Brady's a victim of his own success. What he has done with that team is nothing short of miraculous, but he's Tom Brady. People expect miracles from him. So even though he would get my vote for MVP, he's not going to win it. Then there's Cam. okay, And the Cam haters, of which I used to be one, will fully admit that when Cam Newton was coming out of college in my uh, in my draft prognostications, I didn't want anything to do with him. Thought that he was just you know Jamarcus Russell the second, and I was wrong. Okay, and we're going to come back to why that's important in a second. Cam Newton is the straw that stirs the drink with the Panthers, and you can talk about you can talk about statistics and you know pick whatever number you want to flaunt and this and that and this and that the bottom line is Cam Newton is winning and he's winning with a team that's pretty damn good and they win on the road they win at home they haven't lost a game in a year okay they haven't lost a regular season game in a calendar year let that sink in for a minute That's not an accident, okay? To win consistently in the NFL is not an accident. It is the direct result of a lot of factors and a little bit of luck. 
So then the question becomes, okay, when the Patriots were undefeated, there was a lot of talk about, oh, can the Patriots go undefeated? Can the Patriots go undefeated? Nobody's saying that about Carolina. And I find that very curious. Um, if you look at their schedule, Carolina's schedule is softer than a fat cheerleader. Um, now, granted, you could say the same thing. You could say the same thing about the uh, about the Patriots. But then again, how many people saw the Patriots losing at home to Philadelphia? Nobody. I mean, the Patriots were a double-digit favorite in that game. Lost. So, soft or not, still got to win the games. Things can go wrong. Things can happen. Guys can get hurt. But why no talk about Carolina? I have a couple of reasons why. I just want to throw them out there and see what you think. The first is because the media has no foresight. And that's really weird because media guys love to talk all the time about making predictions. They can see the future, they can see this, and they can see the future, they can see this, and they can see the future, they can see that. That's a lot of noise, because when it comes right down to it, they have a lot of mindset that says, well, yeah, this guy's never done it never done it before, so he's never going to do it. You, know, you hang a label on a guy in the NFL, and that label sticks no matter what he does. You know, Ben Roethlisberger can do whatever he's going to do throughout the remainder of his NFL career, and whenever somebody wants to take a shot at him, they're going to talk about rape allegations that were never proven. Uh, Cam Newton, same deal. There's a lot of guys, like I said, myself included, that hated on the guy when he first came up. However, you know, he's, he's done what he's needed to do. Is he, is he the flashiest guy in the league? No. Is he the movie poster type uh, quarterback that Tom Brady is? No. But he wins. But he still has that label on him. You know, no matter what Cam Newton does, whenever somebody wants to take him down a peg, we're going to talk about the money at Mississippi State, and we're going to talk about the criminal charges at Florida, and we're going to we're going to talk about the trail this kid left when he was a kid. But since he's gotten to the NFL, especially the last few years, he's kind of he's woke up and he's got the message and he's doing what he needs to do. And you know, Johnny Manziel should be looking at this guy and saying, "Hey, you know, if I did more like that, I'd probably." have less problems than I do. Johnny Manziel can't fix a lot of his problems because of where he is. But that's a whole other story. I think the amazing thing is that, you know, five years ago I couldn't say enough bad things about Cam Newton, and I just now am on record as saying, hey, you know, other young quarterbacks should look to this guy as a role model. I know I can't believe I said it either. Another thing, when I talk about Johnny Manziel and a lot of things that he can't fix in his life because of where he is. Well, you know, Cleveland is a dumpster fire. We all know that. But nobody in the media, I think, really wants to buy the Panthers as real. Why? Well, I was a 7-8-1 and one team last year. They're, you know, they're, they're not as good as their record indicates. So that's, 
one of the big horseshit lines of all time. You are what your record indicates. If you're undefeated, you're fucking undefeated. Okay? Like I said, even bad teams in the NFL got players that can beat you. You know? In college, yeah, you know, Alabama, you know, they go out and they schedule themselves northeast, south, southern, western, ag, votech, whatever. Um, they do that all the time. All the big schools do. But in the NFL, sorry, you know. I mean, if you're Carolina, guess what? Even Jacksonville's got good players. Anybody can beat you on any given Sunday, to use that cliche. So when the Panthers are 10-0, 11-0, 12-0, whatever, they're for real. And people in the media just want to poo-poo that. I think there's a lot of, yeah, but it's the Panthers, and yeah, but it's Cam Newton. You can't win with a running quarterback. Yeah, it's this, it's that. Sorry. I, I'm looking around for a team that I think could go to Carolina and beat the Panthers. And after what I just said about any given Sunday, yes, anybody can do it. But when it says, okay, I'm betting my next paycheck on the team that I think we can do it, I don't see very many that can. I mean, Arizona, maybe. Cincinnati, Marv Lewis factor. Does that kick in if that happens? How about a neutral site game? And I think we all know what sort of neutral site game I'm talking about. One that might happen in California here in uh, about six weeks or so. <sighs> Who's the team I think can beat them there? Cincinnati again, maybe again. Marv Lewis factor. God help us if it happens then. Denver? Can you imagine a Denver Carolina Super Bowl? It's like, hmm. Welcome to Super Bowl 50, kids. Uh, final score, 9-6. to six. Uh, uh, Frankly, I'd love and Fantasy football people would be shooting themselves in the face with flare guns, but some of them deserve it. Anyway, notice who I didn't mention there. Again, I think the Patriots, I think they're out of gas, and I think they're going to continue to be out of gas. They're going to get in the playoffs minute they got to go on the road somewhere, they're done. Or the minute somebody good has to come to them. Like I said, it's been a miracle run up to this point. The fact that they got as far as they did without losing, um, you know, that's hats off to Tom Brady. But I just, I don't see it, uh, I don't see it happening again. I, I, just, I just don't. I just, the parts, there's too many missing parts. There's two teams out there that are better than the Patriots are right now, and I know that's on paper. But, again, if you're if you're going to force me to lay down my next paycheck, that's the way I see it. Now, the last part of why nobody takes the Panthers seriously, and I, this is all back to something I was very guilty of, and I admitted it, I was a Cam Newton hater, but, Unlike a lot of people in mainstream media, I'm willing to tell you I was wrong. I was fucking wrong about this guy, okay? Um, and I know there's Florida State fans and Tampa fans out there right now going, yeah, can't wait till you see the same thing about Jameis Winston. Yeah, well, come back and talk to me in five years, okay? Um, 
that's a whole other topic. And I would love I would love to when I when I talk about we have a great cast of characters here at uh, Radio J Dub and at Dubsism in general. Chris Humphreys is one of them. Tampa guy, Buck fan. Would love to have a conversation with him about just uh, jumping Jameis Winston. I'll see if uh, my people can call his people and get that uh, get that set up. But in the meantime, I did my 180 on Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton is the kind of guy that the NFL ought to embrace, and they ought to make a star out of the guy. They ought to you know put him in some commercials, give him some face time. Um, if you wanted to replace him, you know, use him to replace Aaron Rodgers and all the shit you're pumping his way right now, I have no problem with that. Um, the guy's turned the corner both as a human being and as a football player. Um, is he ever going to be that guy that throws for 5,000 yards? No, he's not Drew Brees. But then again, when's the last time you asked Drew Brees to, you know, take the ball, run off tackle, and get a first down when you absolutely had to have it? Okay goes back to my thing about, you know, in the Tim Tebow days when I said, you know, at some point somebody in this league's got to build an offense around a quarterback that can't throw because there are so many quarterbacks who can't throw. that College football's not producing the Tom Brady's anymore. And even when they were, genuine franchise quarterbacks, there's about five or six of them at any given time. There's 30-some teams in the league. So if you ain't got one of those franchise guys, if you ain't got Brady, Rodgers, Andrew Luck, you know, pick them, rank them, do whatever you want with them, but if you ain't got one of those guys, you got to figure something else out. And that's exactly what the Panthers have done, okay? There is, there is a current in the culture of the NFL that just says, ah, running, running quarterbacks can't win. And a lot of that's propagated by guys like Boomer Esiason and Dan Marino and, you know, other ex-NFL quarterbacks who used to sling the ball and now sit behind a desk. Carolina is busting that paradigm. And that is why when you have people that just want to say Carolina can't win because kind of look at them like they're the sabermetrics guys. Carolina can't win because blah, blah, blah. Runs batted in, don't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Wraps up this little segment on Carolina. And since we've been talking about Carolina, let's take us out of this segment with our special guest, Sheriff Andy Taylor. Take us out, baby. Well, now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the fishing hole. We may not get a bite all day, but don't you rush away. What a great place to rest your bones and mighty fine for skipping stones. You feel fresh as a lemonade setting in the shade. Weather is hot, weather it's cool. Spot for whistling like a fool. What a fine day to take a stroll and wander by the vision hole. I can't think of a better way to pass the time of day.
have no need to call the road when we get to the vision hole. There'll be you, me, and old dog Trey to do the time away. If we don't pull a perch or bass, we'll cool our toes in dewy grass. Or else pull up a weed to chaw and maybe set and jaw. Hang around, taking our ease. Watching that hound, a scratching at his fleet. Come on, take down your fishing pole and meet me at the fishing hole. I can't think of a better way to pass the time of day. This segment's going to be kind of fun. And by kind of fun, I mean we're going to get kind of nerdy intellectual. I'm going to compare a couple of really abstract topics here. The more I watch the NFL, the more that I see an analogy in my head that takes us back to an era in the history of the Soviet Union. And you're like, what in the fuck is this guy talking about? All right. The Soviet Union. What, what it, Russia now, in my days in this case, is the Soviet Union. Communist country, lasted for about 70 years, and it was all about collectivism. Well, the NFL's really run on a model of collectivism. We have 32 franchises, but they all share all the money. All the TV money is kind of peanut buttered out to keep things even. That's why you can have teams in Green Bay and Indianapolis where they probably wouldn't survive on their own because the Dallases and the New Englands and the other, you know, big money makers pay for everybody. Okay, fine. The problem is is that if you look at the era in Soviet history that historians like to call the era of stagnation, and this is a period of time between 1964 and the mid-80s. And this is all about Leonid Brezhnev, when he was the leader of the Soviet Union. Um, for those of you who read this blog, you know that I always refer to Roger Goodell as Commissar. And there, there's a reason for that. It's because Roger Goodell really does run the NFL like Brezhnev used to run the old Soviet Union. And, and I know I'm on to something with this communist theory, because even, even Dan Lebitard's dad gets it. You know, if you, watch, if you watch that Lebitard show on ESPN, every time they talk to the old man about Roger Goodell, he calls him Fidel. So that's just a Cuban version of Leonid. I mean, so other people see it. And when other people see it, I go, okay, well, is this just people having fun with, you know, with the fact that he rules in a totalitarian manner, or is there really some, some substance to this? And as, as I started sketching out some notes and, and, and really digging into this, I was like, yeah, the NFL is really run like the Soviet Union. And, and, and there's so many things that you see that bear that out. So, okay. If you start with this in the background, okay, if you look at the Soviet Union after World War II, I mean, here's a country 
that was literally, I mean, half of it was literally burnt to the ground in the Second World War. But after that, it had a huge industrial boom. I mean, I mean, this country, I mean, went from scorched earth to competing with the West in the space race in a, in a matter of about 20 years. And if you don't think that's an impressive accomplishment, well, then you need to go back and take a basic economics class and figure that out because it's amazing what the Soviets did in that period of time now. Um, at the expense of other things is how a lot of that growth happened. And, and that's going to that's gonna bear itself out more when we get more into the NFL side of this, this analogy. Um, you can have a lot of debate over whether the post-World War II boom in the Soviet Union was about just general economics or whether it was Khrushchev's policy of de-Stalinization. Um, there's a lot of things that you can talk about, but the point is, in the 1960s, the Soviet Union's run by about six guys. Here's the direct correlation to the NFL, because the NFL of today is run by about six guys. I mean, Commissar Goodell is the commissioner, but he really works for he works for about six, maybe seven owners. Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, Dan Snyder, uh, the old school families, uh, the Maras in New York, Virginia McCaskey in uh, Chicago, the Rooneys in Pittsburgh. Uh, if there's somebody I'm forgetting, it, it doesn't matter. You, you get the point, is that Goodell works with those guys, and those guys run the league. And that's exactly how the Soviet Union worked. In, in the Soviet Union, they called it the Politburo. And so you had Brezhnev, who was the guy who was supposed to develop the economy and keep the product going, or if you want to say, dare I use the word, protect the shield, ergo Goodell's model. Well, that was Brezhnev's job. His job was to go out and make money for the other six guys, and they kept him in power. Okay. It's the same deal as Goodell. Are you starting to see the analogy here? Basically what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a large organization who has one guy that is the face of that organization, but the organization is really run by about six or seven people. Okay. Keep that in mind as we move forward in my analogy here. Because right now, you know, you're going to think, this guy's crazy. What is he talking about? What do Goodell and Brezhnev have in common? Why do I keep calling Goodell uh, a commissar? Well, because they're both not really the guy for the job that they have. But rather, they're a guy put in that job to accomplish a specific task. In the case of Brezhnev, Brezhnev's job was to expand the Soviet Union's presence in, in world affairs. In the case of Roger Goodell, it was to break the players' union. Roger Goodell's one job, he had one job, and that was to break the players' union, and he failed at it. Okay? Brezhnev tried to expand the Soviet Union's uh, presence in world matters. Uh, kind of backfired on him when he invaded Afghanistan in 79. That, that, was, his, that was his failing to break the players' union moment. Um, and a lot of them had success, or a lot of success occurred, 
under Brezhnev and Goodell in their respective organizations, but they both had their epic fail moments, and they all revolve around their their task, their one job. And I already alluded to it with uh, Brezhnev. It was Afghanistan. You know, Afghanistan was the mistake he couldn't get away from. It was, you know, it really hampered his efficacy as the leader of the Soviet Union until he died in 82. And Goodell, it's, you know, obviously it's the walkout in 2010 where he was supposed to break the players' union. And then, it, to me, what's one of the great fuck you moments of all time is when Robert Kraft is hugging Jeff Saturday on the steps of that hotel with the we have a deal moment and everybody joins hands and sings a chorus of Abraham, Martin, and John and the one guy who is nowhere near that scene is Goodell. And that told you, that told you in that moment that there was a new a new commissar coming. I, I think that's that's the date that we can point back to in, in Goodell's administration and say yeah that's the moment where we knew it was over because if you noticed since then Goodell doesn't really factor in anything other than stuff that if he fucks it up it doesn't matter too much like you know player discipline yeah deflate gate that was a big deal and it made a lot of media bluster but at the end of the day it didn't really affect anything I mean Oh, you find the Patriots a million bucks. Yeah, well, that's ashtray money for Robert Kraft. Uh, draft picks. Yeah, well, okay, that got thrown out. And um, My personal opinion on draft picks is that they're not as valuable as people think they are. They aren't, they're pizza coupons until you use them. I mean, and then, and then it's all a subjective matter of, well, what would you actually get for that pick? You know, people can argue with me about that, whatever. Um, the, the point is, is that, Goodell has been kept away from everything that really matters, and he's a guy who's accidentally successful in the, in, in the sense that his contract is based on, he gets paid according to how well the league does. Well, the league is swimming in TV money now, okay? That's an important point. You've got to re- keep that in mind as we, as we go through this. Because I got I, I got I got to take you one direction to bring you back to the to the money aspect of this. Because the birth of the NFL and the birth of the Soviet Union have a lot in common. Okay, and and it, you take it to the guys that did it in either case. In the case of the Soviet Union, we all we all remember Lenin from high school history class. Okay, what a lot of people don't tell you about Vladimir Lenin is that. His whole thing about the working man and the proletariat and all this other lofty horseshit that he got from Karl Marx, this was all about exclusion, okay? Vladimir Lenin's whole motivation is here's a guy that comes from a wealthy, you know, connected family in Tsarist Russia, but since they're not royalty, they're not dialed into the big-time social circles, okay? Well, Lenin thinks that's horseshit, and he says, well, wait a minute. Why don't I why don't I get rid of those people? I'll start a revolution. I'll get rid of those people and then I can replace them with me. Okay? Because and he, and he sold this to the farmers and the peasants with like, well, you know, look at those rich kings and queens and they they don't give a shit about you, but I do. Okay? Next thing you know, we have the Russian Revolution and we have the Soviet Union and now Lenin is in the Kremlin. And yet 
doesn't have a lot to do with, with the working guys. He, he does a good job of screwing them over just like the czars did. But, but that's not the point. The point is, is that he overthrew those people so that he could have his own deal. NFL gets started pretty much the same way. And you take the name George Hallis, and you can really call him the Vladimir Lenin of the NFL. And here, here's why. Okay, George Hallis, if Vladimir Lenin was a rich guy, George Hallis had a very well-to-do sports resume. Um, he's the MVP of the Rose Bowl in 1919. He's an outfielder for the New York Yankees. And then a couple of things happen. So he's amongst sports royalty. Face it. If you play for the New York Yankees in 1920, you're, you're sports royalty in this country. Problem. The year before the Yankees had went out and got another outfielder, a guy you might have heard of named George Herman Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth pays the same position as George Hallis. Yeah, I know, when they buy Ruth from the Red Sox, he's a pitcher, but they're not going to use him as a pitcher. They're going to turn him into a right fielder. Well, Hallis is like, well, wait, 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 wait. You know, I'm the established guy here. Oh, wait a minute. George Hallis breaks a hip, hurts himself somehow. Done. Never sees the field as a baseball player again. So what's he do? He wants to be back in that sports royal circle, and he's thinking, hey, you know, People are flocking to see this Babe Ruth guy. There may be something to this pro sports thing. So, you know, he scrapes up a couple of bucks. He goes back to Illinois. He gets a couple of guys together, and uh, he says, you know, a lot of people like watching this football stuff in college. What if we started a professional football league? Yeah, we'll get some of the local factories to sponsor teams, and we'll do it here in these small towns where we can keep the rents low and Blah, blah, blah. So he founds the Decatur Staley's team named after a corn processing plant. Uh, you had other franchises in towns like Anderson, Indiana, uh, Canton, Ohio, the Green Bay Packers, the Duluth Eskimos. Long story short, Hallis goes back to the Midwest and can't be part of Major League Baseball, starts his own professional sports league, Okay. The common theme between Lennon and Hallis, they're both creating a world in which they got to be in the top circle. That's what it was all about. And Hallis, you know, Lennon, Lennon died pretty early in his run. Lennon doesn't really get to see the Soviet Union become what it eventually does. Hallis is alive, you know, 50 years after his creation. Um, but again, bottom line is, they could not be the top dog in the world they lived in, so they went and they created their own world. Okay? Now, keep that in mind as we go back to the power and who ran these organizations. Okay? There's no mistaking the fact that Virginia McCaskey, the direct descendant of George Hallis, is still one of the people who pulls the strings in the NFL. That's not an accident. There's, there's a distinct reason for that. Okay? In the Soviet Union, I already mentioned just a second ago that, that Lenin built the organization and then he croaked. Okay? But 
Stalin, the guy that took over for him, basically all he did was do what Lenin would have done and became who Lenin would have become. And I know a lot of historians will say that that's a dramatic oversimplification, and in a lot of ways it is. But Lenin saw the writing on the wall right before he croaked, and he knew that the Soviet Union was headed towards totalitarianism and you know government through strangulating bureaucracy, and, and it, it was inevitable. Because what happened when he overthrew the czars and then he overthrew the ruling classes and he got rid of anybody that knew, knew how to do anything. Okay, that gets a little bit deep. The point is, Hallis did the same thing in the NFL, okay? Hallis and a couple of owners really, really run the NFL up until the point where we got the quote-unquote strong commissioner. And in the Soviet Union... You had that guy, Stalin, that was the power. And then when Khrushchev uh, came to power in the 50s after Stalin's death, he spread things out a little bit and got us back to that Politburo model where, okay, hey, I'm the face of this, but this country's really run by five or six, seven people. This is what happens with Hallis, because when we get into the 1960s and Papa Bear is still kind of the tough guy of the NFL, then all of a sudden there's competition, and... You know, all of a sudden these these competitors got some money and they're 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 stealing some of our players and you know Jesus we got to do something about this. Hallis had no idea how to deal with that, and so Hallis and a couple other owners got together and say, hey, you know, this Roselle guy that's been you know legal clerking for us and you know you know Johnny Johnny Handy dude, why don't we give him a shot? It seems like a good kid, seems like a smart kid, seems like he knows how to deal with those guys meaning the AFL, and that's what they did. They put Pete Rozelle in power, and Pete Rozelle becomes the guy who takes the backward agrarian Soviet Union and turns it into a superpower. Because in the 50s, nobody in this country gave a shit about the NFL. It was, it was an afterthought. The biggest sports in this country were baseball, college football, horse racing, boxing. The NFL wasn't even on anybody's radar. And you get to the 60s, and that completely changes. Um, the AFL expanded the popularity of football by taking it to markets where it hadn't been before. The NFL started getting on TV because um, TV started to like the NFL after the 1958 championship game it was uh, Colts and Giants at the uh, Yankee Stadium. That was really the first big national TV football broadcast, and you know they made some money on it. And they said, well, hey, wait a minute, maybe this football thing's got a future. Because it's not an accident that you have that game, you have the hiring of Pete Co Rozelle as the commissioner that's intended to make it grow. Again, Brezhnev's job, Increase our presence on the world stage. Roselle's job: increase our presence on the world stage. You, you gotta, you gotta keep those mileposts together. It's not an accident that you have that 58 championship game. Ten years later, you've got this weird little thing called the Super Bowl, which is an exhibition game. It's just a game between the NFL champion and the AFL champion. It's, it doesn't mean anything at that point. Um, in fact, you know, the first Super Bowl 
was coached by a guy named Lombardi, so they couldn't even give you the Lombardi trophy yet. Didn't make you anything. It was it was an exhibition game. It doesn't become the championship game until after the merger of the two leagues. When the AFL and the AFL merged in 1969, um, that's when the Super Bowl became the NFL championship game. Okay. Why does that matter to my analogy? Okay. If you've been listening, you know that I started this at the birth of the Soviet Union and the birth of the NFL, took it through the evolution of how the power base was constructed, and now we're at the point where we are in the rapid economic growth. Okay? So, in terms of the Soviet Union, this is the 50s, the early 60s. In terms of the NFL, it's right now. Okay? In the 50s and the 60s, the Soviet Union was growing faster than it could possibly imagine. It was, you know, building factories. It was building a military. It was building all this stuff. And it was scaring the crap out of the Americans. Uh, the NFL, the NFL right now has literally doubled its operating revenues in the last six, seven years. And there are other people in the sports world that are thinking, well, gee, you know, there's a finite amount of entertainment dollars out there in this country, and the NFL is sucking up a ghastly large number of them. That brings us to the threats and where the false economies of both the Soviet Union and the NFL come into play. With the Soviet Union, it's easy to figure out. The threats to the Soviet Union were democracy. You know, um, The people in the, who lived in the Soviet Union in the 80s after the era of stagnation, they'd, you know, they'd seen what the Soviet system is going to bring them. You know, they... They don't want to wait in line for toilet paper. They don't want to wait in line for cigarettes that, you know, the tobacco falls out of them the minute you tip them the wrong way. You know, they don't want vodka that tastes like gasoline. You know, they see what's going on on the other side of the wall, and they're like, hey, I want that too. All right? Well, that's what's happening to the NFL right now, and nobody's really starting to see it. The first shot across the bow is this stupid-ass concussion movie. And make no mistake, that movie and this whole thing about concussions and player safety and blah, 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 it all started with the noble cause with the, you know, the old players and the, you know, that you know, um, CTE, was it the chromatic, traumatic encephalopathy, I, I forget the name, I should have show prepped that, but you know, the thing that you, you get hit, hit, hit the head enough and then your brain goes haywire and you can't remember shit or you shoot yourself or whatever, okay, that started out in a noble place, but it, it's going somewhere else. And where it's going is um, I think there's a lot of people out there both from a government perspective and from a lot of other perspectives. Perhaps it's the, the broadcasters, perhaps it's the people in other sports leagues, but you can see that you know we're starting to line up a little bit to maybe take some of the money that the NFL's been sucking up and take it back. Um, this is where this analogy gets a little hard to explain, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start it this way. The money problems that the Soviet Union had, it did to itself. What do I mean by that? 
The Soviet Union screwed itself in all sorts of ways when it decided in the 1970s to screw the Arabs. What happened was, whether you know this or not, Russia is floating on oil. Siberia is full of it. And so the Soviets decided when the Arabs were playing cute with uh, the West and screwing around with them over oil prices and all that sort of stuff, the Soviets said, well, you know what? We'll become the world's largest exporter of oil. And that's exactly what they did. And they built all these pipelines into Europe, and they turned on the taps and said, see, now you don't have to depend on those damn Arabs anymore because Uncle Boris here is your friend. Well, that's great for a while because now the money starts rolling in. And then it stopped. Why did it stop? Because at some point, the Europeans and the Americans, we all decided that, you know, maybe we shouldn't build these, you know, muscle cars that get, you know, eight miles to the gallon. Let's build these fuel-efficient things and spend less of our money on gasoline. So oil prices drop. Problem is, Soviets have already spent the oil money. They were spending they were spending next year's paychecks today. And then next year's paychecks didn't come. That's why we're all waiting in line for toilet paper. And that's why we all have cigarettes and tobacco falls out of. And that's why we have vodka that tastes like gasoline. NFL. Replace the word oil with the word TV revenues. And you should see what I'm talking about. The NFL is rolling in television money right now. Absolutely fucking rolling in it. Problem. Those contracts are coming up for renegotiation over the next few years. And the NFL is not going to be able to get away with putting the quality product on the field that it has been and putting together the broadcast packages that it has been. The NFL, I mean, there are people... In, in places they don't want to admit, but there are people in the NFL that think the Thursday night package is worth 2 or $3 billion a year. You're not going to get anybody to pay $3 billion a year for Jacksonville at Tennessee. That's not happening. Okay? Um, just looking at the games that the NFL is going to give me over the air today, uh, I got Indianapolis and Jacksonville. Okay, I get that. It's regional coverage. I live in Indiana. Lucas Oil Stadium is about 45 minutes from my front door, so I get I'm going to see the Colts. But what if I don't want to see the Colts? I'm an Eagles fan. What if I would rather see Buffalo and Philadelphia? <coughs> what if I would rather see Buffalo and Philadelphia? I got a pony up for the direct TV package, which is not happening because I am not giving the NFL $500 for bad football. I mean, let's be honest, there's like three teams in this league worth watching right now. I'm not going to get to see one El Fribo, and I'm not going to get to see the one that I like, and I'm not going to pay 500 bucks. Okay? The problem with that, or the problem in that, NFL's spending the money right now. Don't believe they're not. I mean... Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft are two guys 
that are betting hard that the NFL salary cap hits about 150, 160 million real soon, because they got quarterbacks that they are going to be paying well into the next decade. I mean, well, well after Arts and Crafts Tony Romo is off making his next Arts and Crafts commercial, he's still going to be getting a check every two weeks from the Cowboys, and. Uh, you know, 10 years from now, Tom Brady is going to roll off his supermodel wife, roll across a pile of cash, go out to his mailbox, and there's going to be another check from Uncle Bobby. They're spending their money today. That's why, that's why these NFL owners are all heavily invested in this daily fantasy stuff. The NFL's tried to keep that quiet, but... It's very clear that the guys that are running the NFL now, much like the guys that were running the Soviet Union when it was coming to the end, okay, when you got to the end of the Soviet Union and Gorbachev was the guy that was telling them, hey, uh, you know, we kind of got to fix some stuff or this whole shooting match is coming down. And the old school guys that had feathered their nests and, and, you know, were invested in the way the old Soviet Union worked said, no, 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 no. No, we can't do that. And then all of a sudden, Yeltsin popped up, and the rest is history. NFL is the same deal. We're just waiting for that new owner guy to come along and play the role of Yeltsin. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. The NFL is in a situation right now where it's spending tomorrow's money today. Nobody really sees that because there's so much of it. Like I said, when you double your operating revenue in six or seven years, people think money is just going to flow like that forever. Well, it doesn't. So, when you start spending tomorrow's money today, you have to find out another way to make more money for tomorrow. Fantasy sports. Don't kid yourself, kids. DraftKings, FanDuel... Why do you think this stuff's everywhere? Because Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft, two major investors. Go look at Yahoo's fantasy sports and then go look at Yahoo's list of big investors. You're going to see some names you recognize. Okay. The Politburo of the NFL right now is getting ready for the fall of the Berlin Wall. They know that the NFL is going to end up seeing a big cut in its operating revenues sometime in the next five to ten years. The writing's on the wall. That's why, that's why there's all this interest in London. That's why there's all this interest in Los Angeles. It's all about generating new revenue streams because we're spending all what we've got now. And when you stop to consider that guys like Jerry and guys like Bobby Kraft bought those franchises, um, turned them into real estate corporations, and pumped up their value that way, well, you know, that's how they know that they're going to get their money. But when you're Virginia McCaskey and you're Wellington Mara and you're, you know, Dan Snyder, he's, he's, he did the same thing. He's got a little bit of a different deal, so he's invested more long-term, but he's he's going to end up more on the Jerry, Bobby Kraft side of this. But, like I said, with your Virginia McCaskey or, you know, the Ford family in Detroit, the Roonies, where, you know, you don't have the ability to build yourself a $4 billion Jerry world, 
you got to get your money somewhere else. And they're scrounging for it. NFL today, same era of stagnation as the Soviet Union under Brezhnev, and they're both dealing with false economies, one based on the oil in Siberia, the other based on the money from television. Came to a bad end in the Soviet Union and the NFL. Probably headed the same way. Is the NFL going to collapse? No. But the NFL is going to wake up one day and realize that it's priced itself out of the sports entertainment market. With that, as always, Radio J-Dub, the audio incarnation of the most interesting independent sports blog on the web. Dubsism at yahoo.com. If you disagree with what I've just said, don't understand what I just said, want to ask a question, want to tell me I'm an idiot, want to know what kind of medication I'm on, I'm an open book. At Dubsism on Twitter. Pinterest. Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, you name it, we're out there. D-U-B-S-I-S-M. First page search result on Google. Next week, big college football podcast. Bruce Burns from Sports Attitudes will be joining us. We're going to break down the big bowls. We're going to talk college football in general. Ought to be a good time. Until next time, stay loose, babies. with anything you heard on Radio J-Dub, 
feel free to contact our complaint department at 1-800-SUCK-A-DICK. You do that and I'll kill you. You talking to me? You talking to me? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.